Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. In your Bible, turn Romans chapter 13. This week, next week, and the week after, I think. Right, that's what I said. This week and next week. Is that not what I said? Why are, why are, why are you jumping on me like that? It's this week and next week. <laughs> this week and next week, and then we're done with Romans. So uh, stick around. Uh, Romans chapter 13 is where you want to be. And when you get that, uh, if you just stand your feet. Go ahead and stand your feet. If you're new here, hey, I'm just telling you, we won't up down the whole morning. We like to do this. This is a thing just for us. It's just a tradition. It's not a right or wrong. And we just stand when we read our primary text because it's an acknowledgement that this is God's word. This isn't just some fellows that wrote a book. This is God. And God is speaking to a group of people who have gathered in Bloomington, Minnesota this morning. And we're going to see what he has to say to us. This is Romans chapter 13. And I'm starting in verse 8. And it says this. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say you must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no, does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of God's law. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your holy word. Thank you that you reveal yourself to us through your word. Thank you that you actually want to speak to us. So God, speak loud and clear this morning. Speak loud and clear to each individual here, specifically to them. God, would you do that? Lord, do it in a way that just draws us to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. Hey, just, just out of curiosity, have you ever noticed our propensity to complicate things? Have you ever noticed the way we take really simple things and we love to just complicate things and complicate things? Uh, let's just take your physical health. For instance, we love to, to just complicate physical health. And when it comes to food and when it comes to eating, and I got to be careful because this is me a little bit. But just, just food, food could be very simple. And we turn it into this, right? Where you gotta swallow a million capsules every, I do this about three times a day, I grab handfuls of supplements and I'm swallowing and, and I'll read about something. Oh, I gotta get that supplement, you know? And we, we way over If you just boiled it all down, quite honestly, isn't it just more like this? Isn't it just like eat good food? Wouldn't, I mean, wouldn't that do it? I don't know how to explain this. And so if you're taking notes, you'll write this one down because this is gonna be important. Twinkies don't grow underground. <laughs> like nobody's out there plucking a Twinkie from a tree. I, I know that sounds weird. I know that sounds weird. But we just oversimplify it. And even when it just comes to working out, if it was just about working out, just, just get some exercise. You don't have to be some crazy, ripped up CrossFit dude. You don't have to be doing that kind of stuff. <laughs> oh man, Roger, I told you not to use my picture. I said that, did I not say that? Uh, because here's what's really weird about this now. Whenever anybody looks at me now, this is what you're going to see. This is what you're going to think. And I'm like, I'm a person who has feelings and emotions and intellect. I'm not just this body. That's not just me. I don't, I don't, long enough? Okay. So really, really, it would just be like, just get some activity. If we were just to boil it down, just in terms of exercise, just, just get some movement, get some activity, right? Let me show you something else that I think we really overcomplicate. I think it's this. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? I think we got a million rules. I, th I think we got a, a million like, ooh, you got to be really smart. You got to 
understand the scripture this way and I need some deep teaching. And I think we way overcomplicate this being a follower of Jesus thing. I really think we do. And so the beauty of it is the Apostle Paul is going to speak to us and he's going to boil it all down. He's going to simplify it. And I'm telling you, if we grasp this, if we get a hold of this, I, I think we're an unstoppable force. I would say just, you don't have to answer this out loud, but if you're here this morning, you say, hey, Neil, I'm not really a follower of Jesus. I'm going to tell you something that I think is probably true and you can think this over. You don't have to agree with me. I'm betting anything it's not Christianity that you're opposed to. A lot of times it's Christians. I, I think we just got to think about that a little bit. It's, it's not the message. N nobody's unhappy with Jesus. It's almost always Christians. And I'm saying if we get this, if, if we can just boil it down and simplify this, man, I think we're a powerful force. The church will flip the world upside down as, as we've seen in the scriptures, right? So look at your passage. Look in chapter 13. Look at verse 8. And Paul starts it this way. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm asking this question, what's most important? If we boil it down, what's most important? I think that's what we're going to walk out of here with this morning. Paul starts it this way. He says, owe nothing to anyone. And so we know what this is. This is the Bible clearly stating you should never, ever borrow money. Any of you that have a mortgage, you are living in sin. If you're making car payments, you folks are living. Those students who have gone to college and you have college debt, living in sin. Except that's not what the Bible says. So just not that this is a major point. Look what the Bible says, because folks will do this. They go, oh, see, you, shouldn't, you should never borrow money. Listen, here's what the scripture actually says. This is the Old Testament. It says, if anything is borrowed, assuming it would be, it should be paid back. And if what, if what is borrowed is lost or injured, full restitution has to be made. It's assumed that there would be some form of borrowing going on. And further, the psalmist says this, the wicked borrows and doesn't repay. The wicked doesn't borrow. The wicked borrows and doesn't pay back. Right? That's not what this, this is saying. This is taken so out of context so often when he says, owe nothing to anyone. Do you know how much context means? Context is everything. This is, this is the weird example, but this is almost every Saturday or I don't know if it's Friday night, we, go, we head to Costco. We do our shopping at Costco. We always run into people we know at Costco. We always do. And sometimes it just throws me for a loop because it's out of context. Because I would know exactly who it was if I saw him here. But because I see him at Costco, and I'm like, oh, man, where, where, do we, where do we know them from? Context is everything. Context is everything. Here's the context of this verse. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. It's a continual debt. You should be continually thinking about because it it's a continual debt. Oh, man, I got rent. I got rent coming up. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. I got rent coming up. I got rent coming up. Oh, man, I got my car payment coming up. I want to keep my car. I got to make my car payment. It's coming up. It's coming up. And I'm thinking about it. Oh, man, my student loans are coming up. They're coming up. They're coming up. In that same way, we should feel the sense of debt that we're to love one another. Now, he doesn't finish there. He says, if you love your neighbor, you'll fulfill the requirements of God's law. Wait a minute, that's it? Like we, we, we fulfill the requirements of God's law if we just love our neighbor? He says, for the commandments say you must not commit adultery. Now, remember Paul's audience when he's writing Romans is to Jews. And Gentiles, the Jews are well aware of the Jewish law. They're well aware. They know he's, ta he's talking truth here. Commandments say you must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You can't steal. You can't covet. He's speaking here specifically of the Ten Commandments. But they all would agree. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You can't do any of those things. And he says these and other such commandments. Look, in the, in the, in the Jewish law, the Jewish Old Testament, 613 laws. 
613 of them. He says, the ones that he was just talking about, specifically the Ten Commandments, but then all the other commandments, they're summed up, they're summarized, they're boiled down, they're simplified in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now let me just say this, because now Paul puts a qualifier on here. It's no longer just love your neighbor, so let's all just acknowledge there's a difference here. It's real easy for me to go, oh, I love them, I love them, sure, I love my neighbor, sure, whatever, I love them. He didn't say it, love your neighbor only, he said love them as you love yourself. And that's different. That's a significant qualifier. Now let me just get this out of the way, because I believe that this is going to be a hindrance for some of you here. And, and I'm not talking to everybody, but I absolutely know this. I know that I'm talking to people in the room right now. Some of you don't love yourself. And that's going to be a problem. That's going to be a problem. It's, it's going to be hard to love someone else as you love yourself if you don't love yourself. Now, let me just, this is a whole series we could do on this. We don't have time for that, so let me just simply say this. First of all, you're not supposed to be in love with yourself, right? So sometimes that happens to me, and I'm just thinking too much about myself. It's all about me because I'm in love with myself. Maybe, maybe some of you have found that. What he does say is that you are to love yourself, right? And I'm just going to address it and simply say it this way. If the creator of the entire universe, the God who put everything into motion, the God who is absolutely 100% in control of all things at all times, the God who speaks things into existence, the God who opened his mouth and spoke and the world came into existence, if that God, the holy God, the almighty God, the all-powerful God, if that God was willing to send his very own son to suffer and to die horrifically in a horrific manner, in the most horrific manner, specifically for you, question, who do you think you are to disagree with him? That is, that is nonsense. That is silliness. Now, let me make a quick plug here. It's very real at times that you don't love yourself. I had a woman who came to me after service one time. She said, hey, pastor, hey, pastor, would you pray for me? I said, absolutely, sister. How could I pray for you? And she goes, I hate myself. She said it out loud. I promise you this. There are other people in this room who are saying it right now. If that's the case, if that's the case, let me give you a practical tip. What I would do is I would look for Pastor Jonas. Or I would go online and look for prayer mentoring. Our prayer mentoring program is such a powerful ministry at this church. And they will deal with things exactly like that. Yes? That's exactly what we're dealing with. I've met with people who have been told from the earliest of times, you're a burden. I've met with people whose parents told them that verbally, out loud, from the earliest of age, you're a burden to me. You're a financial burden. You're an emotional burden. You're a burden on my time. Question, how would you feel about yourself if you got that message? And you're four years old, and you're five years old, and now you're nine years old. And how are you supposed to feel when you're 20 years old? If you're somebody who says, man, I just don't like myself. I, I can't love myself. I don't even like myself. I would get a hold of our prayer mentoring ministry. I would work with that, That's a ministry where they allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Let the Holy Spirit heal. The Holy Spirit is the one who does that work. But at the same time, he does say, love your neighbor as yourself. As yourself. Like, like, that means a lot of things, because when you love yourself, right, it means, it means showing grace to someone. You ever done someone, something, and you've kind of screwed up a bit, and somebody's all, they're all hot and mad at you, and you're like, dude, just, I made a simple mistake. Relax a little bit. Okay, that's what you wanted. 
Now extend that to other people. Show a little grace to someone else. Right? It means showing compassion. We're going to see that in a minute. But it means showing compassion. Compassion means to literally co, to suffer with. It means that your, your bowels are literally in knots. That's what that word actually means. Like you feel something for them. Do you feel that for someone else? It would mean you're really concerned about their well-being. What's their best interest? Not what's ours. Not what's mine. What's convenient for me right now? You're, you're concerned about them. It would mean that you're, you're speaking kindly about them to them. You would, never, you would never participate in any type of gossip about them or slander. To that's, that's loving them as you would love yourself. It means you share in their joys and in their sorrow. You, you, would, you would be excited for something great that happened to them, right? And you would be totally forgiving. Look, he says, these and all the other such commandments are summed up in one. Now think about this. He just finished telling us, hey, you shouldn't commit murder. Now, now think about this. If you love your neighbor as yourself, would you murder them? Let me think about that one. That's one of the simpler ones. You absolutely wouldn't. If you loved your neighbor as yourself, would you commit adultery? You know what? You wouldn't. And I'll tell you why. Because for the spouse, if you had adultery with an individual, for the spouse, if you love them the way you love yourself, would you want somebody committing adultery with your spouse? And if you love that individual that you participate in, as you love yourself, you know that's not best for them. You wouldn't do that. If you love someone as you love yourself, would you covet what they have? Oh, that one's tricky. Except, wouldn't you rejoice with them? Now, we joke about this because most Fridays we play golf, right? And I admit it, I'm one of the worst golfers you'll ever meet, so now you've met him, that guy who's terrible, right? And somebody smashes a seven iron and it drops within about six feet of the cup, and I'm like, oh, crap, really? No, I should be rejoicing with them. I'm like, that's awesome, great shot, Wait, right? You wouldn't covet somebody's stuff. You'd be thrilled for them. You'd be excited for them that they have this, right? If you love your neighbor as yourself, all the other commandments would get in order. It just boils it down. It simplifies it. Now, the question becomes, who's the neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? You, some of you know this historically, that there were really three groups of leaders in the Jewish faith. There were the Essenes, there were the Sadducees, and then there were the Pharisees. The Essenes were, uh, were an interesting group. They were, they were kind of separatists. They were very much separatists. And they, in fact, at one point, kind of a lot of them congregated right on the uh, northwest shore of the Dead Sea. And they were writing things. And they were writing things down. And they were putting on things on scrolls. And that's where we got the Dead Sea scrolls that were later found in caves. Like when Jerusalem was destroyed and, and people were scattering, that was the Essenes. And they didn't believe that there was a resurrection. They didn't, they didn't believe in Jesus. Then you had the Sadducees. The Sadducees absolutely believed that this life was it, that there was no resurrection of the body. There was no resurrection of the soul. You live this life, and that's it. That's why they're sad, you see? Exactly. And so there's dad humor, and then there's like pastor humor. It's at a whole other level. And then there were the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were the extreme experts in the law. I mean, these guys were really every nook and cranny of the law, and they were great at it. And so one day, Jesus is out, and they're kind of trying to trick him, and they're trying to catch him up because they don't like Jesus, right? And so the Pharisees, they're, they're going to try to trick him. And so one of them says, hey, 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 should we be paying taxes to Caesar? You know, Caesar's evil, and he's wicked. Should we be paying our money, good Jewish money, should we be paying that to Caesar? And Jesus basically does a coin trick, and he shuts them down, and they take off, right? 
And they, they kind of stick around. But then, then the Sadducees come. The Sadducees don't believe there's any kind of resurrection. And the Sadducees say, hey, um, okay, so this guy marries this gal, and they don't have any kids yet, and he dies. Now, according to Jewish law, the next, the next oldest brother is supposed to marry her and provide offspring to inherit the older brothers. But before they have any kids, that one dies. And then she marries the next youngest brother. And before they have any kids, that one dies. And he goes through five brothers. And, and finally, they say, okay. At the resurrection, we don't believe in a resurrection. But at the resurrection, whose husband is she? And Jesus boils it all down and tells them they don't get it at all. And they're asking the wrong questions. And he kind of shuts them up. In the meantime, the Pharisees have been huddling up again because they still are trying to trick Jesus. They're, and they're the experts in the law. And they're, they're all huddled up. They're like, we got an idea? Yeah, we got, I got an idea. Okay, you got And they break, right? And then right from there, it says one of them, an expert. This guy's an expert of experts. He knows Jewish law, man. One of them, an expert in religious law, he tried to trap Jesus with the question, are they ever going to figure out, like, this trying to trap Jesus thing, it's not working. But he's going to try to trap him. So he asks him this question, teacher, rabbi, which is the single most important commandment in the law of Moses? Remember, there's 613 of them. These guys know every one of them. They've, they've got them all memorized. It's unbelievable, the Pharisees. And he's like, which one is the most important? And he's trying to trick Jesus. He's going to get Jesus to say something that's the wrong answer. And then they're all going to jump on him. So he says, what's the single most important? That's what he's asking for. One, the single most important. And Jesus says, you got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Doesn't that sound right? you got to love God. That's the most important thing. A second, wait a minute. Jesus, I didn't ask you for a second. I asked you the single most important. Jesus gave them that answer, and he's not done. He's still going. And not only does he say there's a second, but I love the NLT, our translation that we typically use is New Living Translation. Some of you have NIV. Some of you still read King James. Great, New King James. But I, I do believe the New Living Translation is the most literal, most accurate, because he says a second is equally important. Many translations say a second is like it, but the original language means a second is, is, is equal to it. Now, stop and think about this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus, or maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, but you're thinking about being a follower of Jesus, right? And you want to know what's this thing all about. If there was a second commandment that was every bit as important as, as the first one, which we just read, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your... If there's something that's equally as important, do you think we should know that? Okay. Here it is. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Wait a minute. That's what Paul was telling us. Jesus said it first. Now Paul's repeating it. Love your neighbor as yourself is equally as important as loving God. And then he says this. The entire law and all the demands, everything that the prophets wrote, are based on these two commands, which are equal. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now Jesus goes on because the question then becomes is, who is my neighbor? So Jesus goes on to tell a story. It's a very famous story. Many of you have heard it. It's a parable. Parables are not true stories. Jesus wasn't trying to trick anybody and make something up like it was true. He was saying, this is not a true story. I'm going to tell you this because it's got a teaching point. There's a teaching to this. I'm going to tell you this story. And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Here's the story of the Good Samaritan, if you don't know it. He starts out and he says this, very important. You have to understand this. A Jewish man. That's one of the most important parts of the story. If you, if you don't get that, you miss it. A Jewish man, and he's traveling from Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem is called a city on a hill. Literally, it's a city on a hill. And he's traveling to Jericho. Now, here's what's interesting. Jericho is 1,200 feet below sea level. 
Jerusalem is a city on a hill. There's 3,700 foot descent from Jerusalem to Jericho in 25 miles. And so because of that, the road can't just go straight downhill. Because if it did, you'd, you'd trip and fall head over heels on your way down. It'd be almost like that. And so the road from Jerusalem to Jericho is a very famous road, and it goes like this for obvious reasons, right? There's these, there's these whipbacks, right? And so it's also known to be a very dangerous road because on these whipbacks, you got the thugs and the criminals and the gangsters. They all hang out there. Well, sure enough, this Jewish man, very important, is traveling this road, and he gets to one of these whipbacks, something happens, right? And he gets jumped. These guys jump him, and they beat him within an inch of their life, his life, and they take everything, and they probably strip him naked, and now he's laying on the side of the road. Who is he? He's a Jewish man. Okay, now in the parable, the teaching point that Jesus is, he's telling the story, now a priest comes along. This guy's a professional Jew. He's not just ethnically a Jew. He's a professional. He leads people in the worship of this God. He teaches people who this God is. This priest comes in. He sees that the guy's up ahead. He doesn't even get close. He just steps to the other side of the road, and he walks on by. Wow, really? Then it says a second guy comes by, and he's a Levite. All priests are from the tribe of Levi, but not all Levites our priest. This guy's probably a temple assistant, right? So he comes by. He comes up to the guy and he's like, yeah, that's not for me. And he walks on by. Okay, a third guy comes by and he's a Samaritan. Not a big deal. That's a huge deal. And here's the reason why. Because Jews hated Samaritans. Jews would literally, now think of our culture today. This would have powerful meaning. Jews literally out loud to their face and to other people called Samaritans half-breeds. They were half-Jewish, right? And they called them the Samaritan dogs. The Samaritan comes up. He sees the guy. What does he do? He walks to him. He sees that this guy's in trouble. He begins to bandage his wounds and pour olive oil on, some of his, on, on his wounds, and he's, he's bandaging him up. Then, as if that's not enough, then he takes a guy, sets him on his donkey. Jesus is telling the story, and now he begins to walk him. He's no longer getting to ride on his own donkey. He's pulling the guy on the donkey, and he's walking, right? And now they get to an inn, and so he leaves him at the inn, and he says to the innkeeper, here's this guy. I found this guy. He's pretty banged up. You keep him. Here's money. Reaches into his pocket, hands him money. And then he says this, don't sweat it. I'm coming back this way. If I didn't give you enough money and you need to take better care of this guy, you go ahead and when I get back, I'll settle up. The Samaritan. Now, I'm talking about a Samaritan. I'm saying a Samaritan did that for a Jew when he knows the Jew already hates him. Okay, that's what it means to be a neighbor. That's neighbor love. That's, when we talk about neighbor love, so let's just look at it real quickly. Here's what neighbor love is. Number one, number one neighbor love moves toward it moves toward others. It moves toward. You ever do this? You're like, uh, let's see, he's, here he comes. Oh, no, I'm going to go this way. Or you know they're in need, and you're like, I'm going to act like I didn't see it. See, that's not neighbor love. Neighbor love moves toward. And it doesn't matter who it is. This was a Jew. This was a Samaritan. He moved toward it. That's what neighbor love does. It always moves toward. I know it's going to be difficult. I know it's going to be inconvenient. I know it's going to upset your day. I know all that. Jesus said, I want you to move toward them, right? Further, neighbor love is moved about others. It says this in the scripture. It says that when the Samaritan saw the Jew, it said he felt compassion. 
And compassion is what caused him to, to do what he did. Again, compassion, co, compassion. It means to suffer along with. Like, do we suffer with people? Do we, do we, do we get in there and feel what they're feeling? Are we feeling them? Are we, are we feeling that? Are our bowels literally, the word literally means that your bowels are entangled? Do we get that distraught about it? I mean, there are boundaries. I get it. There are boundaries. But man, do we just feel, do we just try and sit and feel what they're feeling? Because that's what neighbor love does. That's what it did in the story. Further, neighbor love ministers to felt needs. Felt needs. This is a, this is a cop out. I've done this. I've done this. We do this as Christians. Oh, sister, yeah, I, I hear that. I'll, I'll be praying for you. I'll be praying for you. And she's like, hey, I appreciate that. I don't need you praying for me right now. I need a ride. I, I need a place to stay tonight. I need me some cash money. That's what I need. And it's really easy for us to go, oh, yeah, I'll be praying for you. I'm guilty of it. I've done it. But that's not real neighbor love. That's just not neighbor love. And then finally, neighbor love sacrifices itself. Like you think about this guy in the story. He was on his way somewhere. And now his trip just took a whole lot longer. I, I would contend that the greatest, uh, the greatest thing that we can give today for a lot of Americans, because we're in general, whether, whether you're loaded or not so loaded, I think the biggest thing we give up is time. In, in the culture we live, the biggest sacrifice is time. Seriously? You need me to do what? I, I plans for my afternoon, man. Right? Sometimes it's sacrifices of money. I mean, that's real. Sometimes you sacrifice money. Maybe, maybe we're not going to go get that thing that we thought we were going to... Maybe we're not going to go have dinner where we thought we are But this dude's not even sleeping indoors. Right? Some, sometimes it, it, it sacrifices safety. I don't think it was all safe in this story. It's a story. But I don't think it would have been at all safe to stop. It's like, ooh, it, it might not be safe here. It might not be safe. But neighbor love would make sacrifice itself. See, that's neighbor love. And... The other thing that I think is, is so significant about this, right, is, is I, I just think we have our own dynamics between people. We have those own dynamics. And what's so significant about this is it didn't do it for someone that they, they, they really like. It wasn't someone that's a really good friend. You know who the toughest neighbor to love is sometimes? And you guys will corroborate this. The toughest neighbor to love, how many have a sibling? Ooh, Jesus, help me. That's, that's sometimes, that's tough neighbor love right there. About a spouse? Because it's real easy to say, well, we're going to be married no matter what. I mean, we're married. Man, me thinking, I'll tell you the difference at our house, my wife always thinks of me, and we have a lot in common, because so do I. I like me. But see, I'm supposed to be thinking of her. If I thought of her the way she thought of me, whoo, that's a game changer, right? Sometimes, sometimes it's, it's a parent, it's a child. Sometimes it's literally your next door neighbor. You know the one, the one that never takes care of their yard. You know what I'm talking about. And you're like, come on, man, take care of your yard. Your dandelions are in my yard now, right? Love your neighbors, you love yourself. I mean, I, I, he's just boiled it all down. This sums up all the commandments, followers of Jesus. What would our world look like? 
What would our world look like if this is what folks saw? Because pretty soon the word would get out. Pretty soon the word would get out. Huh? Those Christians are kicking the shorts. But I'll tell you what, I had an experience with this, this gal, and man, she's just so kind. So, like, what if that word got out? Essentially, he's telling us this. If you love your neighbor as you love yourself, it's equal. It's equal, too. This is a weird thought for us. It's equal to loving the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. They're equal. They're the same. He said, these two commands are equal. Really? And it sums up all the commands. And further, he said this. I mean, you should know this. If you're not loving your neighbors yourself, you don't love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You don't. I don't. We don't. This is it. You want to boil it all down? You want to just make this thing simple? There it is. That's about as simple as it gets. Yeah, 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 I know. 16, 613 laws in the Old Testament. I get it, blah, blah, blah. I get it, I get it. Ten Commandments was tough enough. 613, Ooh, I get it, I got it. I don't have the deepest understanding of this scripture. and I didn't, I didn't have the greatest understanding of the book of the Revelation and all the prophecy. Beautiful. Here's one for you. Love your neighbors yourself. Let me give you the big so what for today. Loving your neighbor as yourself is loving God above all else. You love your neighbor. I don't mean love your neighbor. I mean love the neighbor the way you love yourself. That's loving God above all else. That's it. It's that simple.